Good morning, it's Air Talk. I'm Larry Mantle. Pleasure to have you with us today. Coming up a little bit later, we're going to take a look at AP, Advanced Placement Courses, and the number of colleges and universities that are rethinking whether they want to accept AP credits. But first, the Monday killing of a Whittier police officer has prompted more debate about whether California's early prison release programs put the public and law enforcement in danger. The confrontation occurred Monday morning. Michael Christopher Mejia of L.A. had reportedly rear-ended two cars at a Whittier intersection. Officers Keith Boyer and Patrick Hazel responded to the collision. Police claim Mejia he stepped out of the car firing his gun at both officers. Each was hit. Boyer was killed. Mejia was wounded uh, in return fire. Uh, police say officers encountered Mejia shortly after he'd shot his cousin to death in East L.A. and stolen his cousin's car. What's made this tragedy a source of debate is Mejia's early release under Assembly Bill 109, also known as realignment. With us to talk about what we know regarding Mejia's criminal background are KPCC reporters Frank Stoltz and Annie Gilbertson. Good to have you both with us. Hello, Larry. Hi. Frank, let me start with you. The chief of police in Whittier has come out and, and said that, you know, this is the risk to the public and to law enforcement of early release programs like AB 109. How, how do you see this incident sort of fitting into that debate? I guess I'd start by saying early release is probably a little misleading because it's it's very common for just about every state prisoner uh, to not full, serve the entire you know, two, six, eight, ten year, years in prison that he was sentenced. Often they'll spend the last year or two uh, out on parole or on probation if it's a less serious crime. So because I think when you say early release, uh, that immediately gets, you know, everybody riled up because, hey, you know, why don't you serve your, your full it term? It sounds inherently unfair. It sounds inherently unfair. And, um, you know, what we're dealing with here fundamentally is uh, the under the old regime and anyone who got out of state prison uh, was put on parole. So they were under state parole officers supervision. And uh, if they violated the terms of their parole, usually this involved, uh, you know, uh, refusing to be you know, they're subject to random searches. And if they refuse to be searched, then they could be violated. Uh, possession of drugs, possession of guns, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, they'd be sent back to prison for 90 days, typically. Um, and and there were different factors. You know, there was judgment involved in, in, in terms of the parole officer. Uh, but this is what caused a lot of the prison overcrowding problem. So part of the fix was to, uh, uh, you know, have folks instead be under the supervision of county probation departments. And uh, if they violated the terms of their probation, uh, they'd go to county jails for just 10 days. Typically. What they call a flash, flash incarceration. incarceration. Yeah. So and I think this this is sort of where the debate is, is centered on right now that, you know, uh, this fella uh, had been flash incarcerated um, five times since he, he was out of prison uh, last April. So, so he, in a seven month period, five times. He did a four year term on robbery. He did a two year term on, on grand theft auto and trying to steal a car uh, and and did and got out in April of last year. Uh, and uh, sure enough, right off the bat, you know, uh, July 6th, uh, uh, probation uh, or deputies, we're not sure who, find narcotics on him. He's flash incarcerated for 10 days. 929, the same thing. December 7th, January uh, 2nd, and uh, and as 
recent as February 2nd. Uh, he's flash incarcerated. All of these were drug possession All of them were offenses? drug possession, although one of them also included, uh, he was he was charged with a felony. We don't know what the felony was in the, the uh, January 2nd uh, incident. But clearly he was having, a tr- having trouble uh, staying off drugs. Uh, that's what this would suggest. And uh, so... Uh, you know, I was talking to somebody from probation today and I said, is there, you know, is there a limit to the number of flash incarcerations? At some point you say, hey, you need to go back to state prison. And, and she said, yes, there is uh, there is a process for uh, filing a motion with the court uh, to revoke uh, probation. Technically, they're under parole. Or right? they or they also could have just arrested him and charged him with a drug crime. Right. I mean, you could have also pursued a misdemeanor drug charge. You could have looked at sentencing in the jails. I mean, th- the truth is, is that probation does have a lot of tools in their toolbox to be dealing with individuals like Mejia, especially if they're repeatedly violating pr- the terms of their probation. And I think that that's going to be some tough questions that county board of supervisors are going to be asking the probation department is just how well they're supervising these individuals. <laughs> Well, and and I'm wondering how uh, Prop 47 factors into this because drug possession is such a lower level offense than it ever used to be. So how much of a tool is that for a probation officer to send someone back on possession? Well, Prop 47, just to update our listeners here, um, it changed, uh, it reduced a felony low-level drug possession to a misdemeanor. It also reduced uh, low-level thefts to a misdemeanor. And um, this has... Uh, proposition has also come under fire from law enforcement who just say it's too lenient. I mean, the truth is, is that these tough sentencing laws that California had built up over the last few decades um, was a real tool for law enforcement and prosecutors. I mean, when they were pursuing plea deals, when they were pursuing information from suspects, and they are um, not happy by and large by these reforms. But advocates would say that incarcerating people for long periods of time for low level offenses was just not the answer. It was not rehabilitating these people, and it certainly was costly. And, and Larry, the, the, the phrase gladiator school always stuck in my mind from the 90s uh, when, when guys would go into these overcrowded state prisons and, you know, there was little or no reform or rehabilitation effort, and you're really just going to gladiator school to learn how to survive in, in a very tough, difficult environment and to oftentimes become a better criminal. Um, and so he, so under the new regime, the idea is, you know, you don't incarcerate them for as long if they are caught with drugs, uh, and that you also provide more rehabilitation programs, anger management, uh, job training, uh, drug rehab. Um, and the state has not been as good uh, on the second half of the of the AB 109 and the Prop 47 promise, which is, okay, we're not going to incarcerate, incarcerate people as long, uh, and we're going to provide the more help they haven't provided. Yeah, if as not much incarceration, then what? And and certainly the county has received a lot of money um, for for building up probation and building up uh, the local level sort of supervision for these types of individuals. Um, but certainly we're seeing a debate, as you mentioned, Larry, crop up when we do see a tragedy such as this slaying of an officer. And um, I think that it's uh, it makes sense that people are asking right now. You know, why did this happen, and what could have been done to prevent it. But the truth is, is that the connection between um, this individual, Mejia, uh, the alleged murderer of this um, cop, and these criminal sentencing reforms is weak at best. It's speculative. I mean, frankly, we just don't know if Mejia had been supervised by parole instead of probation, if he would have been incarcerated at this time and this death wouldn't have happened. I mean, it's just 
speculative. Well, there are a lot of permutations. So let's let's say it is yeah. the, let's say it is the old regime, uh, and he's under uh, the supervision of state parole officers, uh, and he's caught uh, July in July, you know, a few months after getting out with drugs. Uh, they have the option to uh, put him back in, in prison for uh, 90 days or not. Uh, let's say he does go to prison for 90 days. He learns his lesson, never picks up drugs again. I mean, who knows what happens? Uh, let's say they don't and they wait until the next time. So there's just a lot of, a lot of different things that could have happened. And the sheriff's effort, Sheriff McDonald's effort to sort of draw a straight line. Well, you know, he would have been in prison on the day he murdered the officer, you know, if we had not passed these reform measures. I don't we think you can quite know. say that. There is the other issue, Prop 47, Annie, that you were talking about, because um, the critics of 47 said, with drug court, we have a stick to be able to use to push people into drug treatment. Drug treatment often, you know, typically doesn't work the first time. It requires multiple times through. And there has to be some way of of pushing someone into it because comparatively few people just go off their own volition to drug treatment. So when 47 was passed, critics said the problem's going to be People aren't – you're not going to have as many people getting off drugs. It's certainly the case of Mejia, and it's just a single case. You could argue that if he was he was getting caught with drugs, uh, you know, time after time, there was not the pre-47 stick available to force him to go to rehab. Um, really interesting point there, Larry, and that's been made um, throughout uh, this debate. Um, I think that the advocates um, who were uh, proponents of Prop 47, of changes to these drug laws, um, made it really a conversation about um, economics, about costs of incarcerating these people, and said, you know, if we're going to change these from felony drug offenses to misdemeanor offenses, we're going to take all those savings of incarceration and we're going to put it into programs. We're going to put it into sober living houses. We're going to put it into um, drug rehabilitation and really build up that network in communities where people can um, get off drugs. And and I think that they would argue that um, building that infrastructure is the real way to um, offer people an alternative from drug use. And I got to say that there's been some infighting up in Sacramento about just how much money Prop 47 has saved on non-incarcerating people, which means that there may be less money available for these community programs. But that's all getting worked out right now. There are communities that are submitting proposals, um, alternative programs for getting people clean. Yeah. Um, and certainly there are people, if there were programs available, who would avail themselves of it. And and it's not, the question is, would Mejia, would other people, would they, if, if you know, said, hey, go to drug rehab, would they do it or would they still try to get by using and living their lives as they are? Because there are people just don't want to go to treatment. Yeah, and and I think uh, you know most professionals will tell you having a stick is handy. Uh, you know, it, it's a motivator. Um, you know, the other thing I'll say is we also had instances in in previous years uh, where where parolees who had been released and were out on parole killed police officers. So so again, you know, it, it's tricky business to draw a straight line between. Uh, these criminal justice reform measures and a single uh, incident. And a single incident, yeah. But but rest assured, 
Uh, I think you, you, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a, a, a uh, an act with the officer's name on it, a law that would uh, roll back some of these measures. And I think that it's really, to. and I think that it's really interesting that we're seeing a lot of anxiety about these uh, sentencing reforms crop up when we get news of you know atrocious criminal acts. I think that it's really fueling this debate about just how well we can police our communities and balance an individual's constitutional rights. Annie, good to have you with us. Thanks so much. That's Annie Gilbertson, investigative reporter for KPCC. Frank Stoltz, who covers crime and public safety. It's Air Talk on 89.3 KPCC. Coming up, advanced placement courses, their value, as well as uh, some universities' efforts to limit the application of those AP credits. First, a live update from Eddie Lynn Hurdies. 